Man, praise the Lord, everybody. He's worthy of praise. Amen. We certainly do give God praise. This is the day the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. A day we've not seen before, a day that he has given us to celebrate him and to celebrate one another. Go ahead and smile at somebody to your right or your left and say, I'm so happy to see you, I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them. It is a joy and a delight for you that I've not met. I'm Bishop Parnell Lovelace, Jr., and it's a joy to be with you and to share God's Word. Our pastor, Pastor Lance, has been ministering this weekend uh, for the New Life Community Church for their family camp, and uh, he's been up in Lake Tahoe. What a beautiful place to be ministering. And uh, he has been sharing the Word this weekend uh, there. I think he went down either Thursday or Friday and has been sharing each day. And uh, this afternoon, he will make his way over into Reno to be with his father, who most of you are aware, we have been praying for Dad Han, praying for Pastor's uh, father, who has been challenged in his body, needs a miracle, needs the touch of Jesus. We believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he yet heals and he yet touches. So we're lifting our pastor up in prayer as he's heading there to be with family and friends and to minister to his dad. And we just believe God to do some awesome things with that. And uh, we certainly celebrate Father's Day. All of the fathers, the grandfathers, the uncles, the big brothers, all the father figures and mentors that are in this house, we honor you and thank God the fathers that are here on the earth and those that are in heaven, such as my dad who's been there for five years. We honor each and every one of our fathers. Can we clap our hands one more time and celebrate them? Come on, you can do better than that. Let's celebrate all of these men, these fathers. Absolutely. We celebrate you. We really do because you are, again, a foundation and a blessing uh, to so many lives. And I give God praise for you. It is a blessing indeed. I, I can't wait to find out what my children have got planned for me this afternoon, all right? So praise God. You know, I, I celebrate it just as big as mothers celebrate Mother's Day. Indeed. So I thank God for all of you all. We're going to jump into a new series on today. We're beginning a new series that about, uh, I'm going to be transparent with you, approximately uh, six months ago, six or seven months ago, Pastor Lance, myself, Pastor Brian, we went out to uh, the hills to pray and to seek the Lord and just get some direction for the year. And, and, and out of that came this, this uh, heart and this theme of uh, the year of wisdom, the year of wisdom. And each of us were asked to, Pastor Brian and myself were asked by our pastor to uh, choose a, a book just by the leading of the Holy Spirit that we would lead out, that we would actually uh, put together the, the uh, teaching plan for it, and all of us would teach from it. Uh, I would lead out in this particular book, and then our pastor's going to come, and he's going to take a big chunk of it for several weeks in which he's going to be sharing, and then Pastor Brian will be picking up some pieces of it and sharing a big chunk of it as well. When I looked at it, uh, I, I realized that I'm actually only teaching one part of this series, one part of the series. But here's the funny part. That's not even the funny part. The funny part is we were sitting in a meeting 
this week, and I was just reflecting on the fact that we're going to study the book of Micah, which we'll go to in just a moment. And uh, I was sharing with them that I was sitting back and just reflecting over the study, and I thought to myself, because it is somewhat of a difficult book, to not only to study, and in fact, that's one of, the, one of the reasons a lot of churches will not tackle it as a study, particularly as a Sunday morning uh, series or a weekend series, as it is the case here. And uh, so it's a, it's a difficult book, uh, but then it, what makes it even more difficult is how to apply a prophetic book such as Micah into our lives today. How do we activate that and apply it to our lives today? So it, it's a challenging book. And I found that out as I was going over the notes here a couple of weeks ago. And I sat there and thought to myself, this was about two or three weeks ago. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, who chose this book? <laughs> I literally had forgotten that I was the one <laughs> that had chose the book to teach from. And so I couldn't blame Pastor Lance. I couldn't blame Pastor Brian. I realized that the Holy Spirit had given it to me to share with you all. And uh, thankfully, thankfully, I'm going to do my part and get out the way, and they'll come and do what they need to do, all right? But we're going to see what the Lord has for us as we begin this time of study. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so very, very much for this, your beloved and my dear ones that have come I'm always touched, I'm always moved that, God, you would take my life, one who stuttered until I was 17 years old, one who could not even look people in the eye and hold a conversation. But, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you touched me at the age of 17 and loosed my tongue and put a boldness in me to teach your word. Thank you, Lord, for that. Would you now give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, and accuracy of the text? Help your servant to teach in such a way that even a child would be able to embrace and understand this wonderful truth that is given to us through your word. We love you and we bless you. You know, Lord, I will do nothing but extol you, exalt you, give you all the praise. Both personally and collectively. We love you and adore you. In Jesus' name, all God's people say amen. amen. Praise God. If you will, open your Bibles to Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. We focus on looking closely. Look closely. The promised victory that we have over oppression. The seven-part series of the book of Micah. Micah, one of the 12 minor prophets, not minor because his message is insignificant or small compared to the three major prophets, but the book itself is a small book. Therefore, he's referred to as a minor prophet. Back in 1968, my parents had just brought us back from Ramstein Air Force Base, Germany, back to Sacramento. We had lived in Sacramento previously. And in 1966, they moved to Ramstein because both my parents were stationed in the military. They moved us back to Sacramento, and it had just taken place shortly after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. 
of April, in April 4th, exactly April 4th, 1968. We moved back on April 7th, 1968, back to the states and specifically moved back into an area that was called, or still is called today, Del Paso Heights in North Sacramento. And the other day, I was just reminiscing, reminiscing about my, my, my time there in Del Paso and being a child, I was maybe six or seven years old, there was a fig tree, a large fig tree that was planted behind the house where we lived there on Dry Creek and North Avenue. We lived right in the heart of Del Paso. And this fig tree was the calling card for myself and about 20 other children every day, every day, every day. We'd go under that fig tree and I would take a milk crate, a wooden milk crate, and turn it right side up so that the tall portion reached up about towards my abdomen. And I would stand there, and we'd have church every day. <laughs> we'd play church every single day, two hours stretch after school. <laughs> two hours stretch. Myself and about 19 of the children who lived in the neighborhood. We'd go back there, and we'd play church. And so I, I was the preacher. And as I stated to you, I stuttered, so there was very few words that I would say. Very few words that I say, but I had a message that was consistent. When I would preach my message, we'd all sit there and, and we'd have church. We'd sing songs and so forth, and I'd start preaching, and my message went like this. Just simple, simple message. Remember, I stuttered, but I'd say these words. These words came out really clear out of my mouth. I said, Jesus saves, and you're all going to hell. And we'd all just start dancing around and shouting and falling out and... I mean, I mean we, we'd fall out, pass out, the whole nine fan each other and all of that. You know, I mean, it was, it was some serious church off of the message that Jesus saved and we all go in hell. And I just say, preach that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, and as comical as that is, I suggest that there was a reverence and a respect that we as children, we had for God. We believed that Jesus Christ was coming again and that he could come at any time. We'd actually say, don't let him catch you with your work undone. We were serious about how we carried ourselves as young children before the Lord. And I, I, I'm so thankful that now, years later, I'm not going to tell you how many years. Years later, all of those that were children then are adults now, and every one of them, every last one of them, are serving God and loving God. I was the one that went on into ministry. This is not new to me. I, I've been in formal ministry for 35 years. I pastored a church for 25 years prior to coming here three and a half years ago. So this is not new to me. Others went on to be pastors. Others went on to marry pastors. Others went on to be missionaries. Others went on to be great leaders in the faith. So this isn't new. But there was a reverence that we have and that we had then for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I think I share that with you because although, again, it sounds comical, it is a truth. It has been a foundation for my life as it relates to reverencing and honoring God and wanting to walk before him as a man of integrity. That's been my heart. That he would be pleased, not that I would be a people pleaser. Because you can't please everybody. But the one thing I do want to do is live in such a way that I will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my heart. That's my desire. That brings us into this understanding when we talk about Micah. Micah, the whole theme is the meaning, the meaning of his name. Micah actually means who is like Yahweh, who is like our God. Who, who is like our God? It, 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 it offers the question, what is his attributes? What is his character? What is his heart? How does he deal or interface interpersonally with his people? Who is like our God? That, that's the question that is posed. It, it brings an understanding that he is merciful, he is faithful. Despite the uncertainties of life, God's plan works beyond the chaos and the corruption that surrounds our lives. And that's, in essence, it, it gives us an understanding that despite whatever we sense or face in our lives, there's hope. There's hope for us. So the central message here, it it drives this thought that the development of our spiritual growth begins with acknowledging our need to grow and open our hearts to God's correction. Open our hearts to the fact that God indeed, because he loves us, he corrects us. He chastens us. The enemy of our lives has been shared by our pastor, the world, the flesh, the devil, seeks to distract us through this spirit of oppression, this spirit of greed, this spirit of self-centeredness, selfishness, if we're not careful, the enemy, whether it's the devil, whether it's the world systems, or whether I use the vernacular or the term, whether it's the enemy, enemy, can distract us if we're not careful from the objective and the mission that Jesus has given us. We are called, beloved, hear me well, we are called to a life of full obedience and service that reflects and demonstrates the fact that we indeed who were bound have been set free. If you take your bulletin, I want you to fill in this, uh, the fill in, if you will, please. This will help us to track our thoughts and our focus and the backdrop of our teaching today. Our feeling is this. Why should we be bound when we can be free? Why should we be bound when we can be free? When we were children behind that little oak tree, behind the house, we'd actually sing a song like that. We'd sing a song, God delivered me. Why should I be bound? God delivered me. Why should I be bound? God delivered me. Why should I be bound? Why should I be bound? We would sing that song till it resonated in our hearts that indeed we had been set free by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why would we settle for anything less than the full 
attributes of freedom and liberty that come from relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we read our text, let me give you some backdrop, if I may, the historical overview of the book of Micah. It will help us as we read the text. The prophet Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. He lived in a small village named Morishah. Not far from the city of Gath. If you remember in your scripture reading, Gath was actually initially a community that was led by the Philistines and was conquered by King David and his armies. And later it would be destroyed by the Assyrians when they invaded Judah. Living in this village, Micah came into daily contact with the people who suffered most from the system of land tenure. This was also something that would be protested by the prophet Isaiah. Micah, unlike many of the other prophets, he does something. The the majority of the prophets ministered in particular areas. They either ministered in the northern kingdom, which is Israel, or the southern kingdom, which was referred to as Judah. The northern kingdom, again, had the ten tribes. The southern kingdom, again, had Judah. And so there, there was this, this separation under different monarchs. And the prophets generally would minister either in one area or the other. Whereas Micah ministered in both. By the time Micah appears, the northern kingdom is still present. And he will be used of the Holy Spirit to bring warning to both regions, both to the northern kingdom, where the capital is referred to as Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah, which is referred to, or their capital, which is Jerusalem. God will use him to speak warning to both inhabitants, or both kingdoms. Micah lived, interesting enough, among the poor people, and he empathized and sympathized with them because of their hard lot in life. In many respects, his work was similar to that of the prophet Amos, especially regarding the fact that he addressed such issues as social and economic conditions. Although little, if anything, is new in his criticism of the ruling classes, the manner in which he spoke caused Micah's name to be remembered and honored among the prophets and teachers of later generations. He was bold in his declaration. He did not pull back. He was very clear. No writer in the entire Old Testament was ever more indignant than Micah over the ways in which the rich and the powerful used every opportunity to exploit the poor and the weak. He was very clear in his objective. Because of these evil conditions, Michael tells his hearers that Yahweh will surely bring judgment on the land. The Assyrians' captivity of the northern kingdom is the punishment visited upon them due to their iniquities. And the prophet now sees a similar fate would also come to Judah. His message was not an easy message. It was not a comfortable message. Let me even go as far as to say this. The message of Micah you will find as we go through the series is so direct that the people resented what he was saying. 
They resented what was coming out of his mouth because he wasn't saying what they wanted to hear. And can I tell you something? The challenge we face today in the body of Christ is that there are some pastors and leaders who will only teach what people want to hear. They won't teach the whole word. They won't teach the whole word because they're afraid of what people will say or people will do. But can I tell you, I am thankful to be in a house called Bridgeway Christian Church that is not afraid to teach the whole word, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. So help us God. It may not always make us feel comfortable. I have sat in this seat many a Sundays and many a Saturday nights when Pastor Lance or Pastor Brian have taught and I have crossed my arms and twisted my legs. <laughs> but I can never say what I've heard that has been taught has left me unchallenged. It has left me wanting to go deeper in my faith and to grow and to mature, such as the ministry of Micah. Before I read any further, and we'll go to, again, our first verse, let me give you some thought on this. Someone to say, well, why are we studying Micah? Why are we looking at Old Testament? Because Paul says, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, now these things happened to Israel as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he or she fall. Then he goes on to say in the 14th verse, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And then in verse 23, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. I want you to underline that word build up because we're going to see it again in a few moments. Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Thus we begin. Micah chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria, northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, southern kingdom. Verse 2. Hear, you peoples, all of you. There are a few times throughout the book of Micah he prefaces by using the word hear. Listen. It is the same focus that is given to us in texts such as Revelation where it says, Hear what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church. Listen. Pay attention. Hear, you people, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you and the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. Listen to the words that are coming out of Micah's mouth. He's using these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give warning to the nation, warning to them. Judgment is coming. That's his message. The message that he brings is very clear. God is going to judge the nation. Why? 
because of disobedience. Because of idolatry. Because they have turned from the things of the Lord. They have sought after the things that bring them delight. Things that make them feel good about themselves. They have forgotten the things in the heart of God. His attributes. His character. They're still doing religious stuff. They're still doing religious stuff. They're still going and doing religious activities. But they have moved away from what it means to have relationships. Someone said to me years ago, they said, oh, you just seem so religious. I said, I hope not. I hope not. I'm not religious. I have relationship with the Lord Jesus. There's no hope. There's no strength. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no help where there's religiosity. But where there's relationship, there's transformation. Where there's relationship, there's change. Where there's relationship, there's growth. That's the key. He says judgment is coming. He uses these terms in a very uh, uh, almost poetic way, but it's not to suggest that God, when he says God is going to tread upon the earth, that God has physical attributes in which he's going to do that. Again, he's speaking of how God interfaces and interacts with his people. God is going to correct things. That's what he's saying. That's what judgment is. God brings correction. God brings correction. Can can you understand why that wasn't a popular message? Can you understand why the people didn't want to hear it no more than people want to hear it today? Folks don't want to hear it. Don't tell me God wants to correct me. Don't tell me that God is going to allow judgment to come. People today want us to be really nice and give really sweet little messages and tell us how wonderful we are and how great we are so we can all just move around and they say, you know, God's love. He's love. And He is. We sing the song, He loves me. Oh, how He loves me. He does. And He still wants us to change. He still wants us to change. He still wants us to grow. He still wants us to mature. His love for us is not him giving permission for us to do what we want to do. Oh, please hear me, beloved. We talk about grace. Oh, his grace, his grace, his grace. It was free and it is free, but it is not cheap. God's grace came with a great price. A great price. I will not offer God anything, including my own life. I will not offer God anything that costs me nothing. It will be a sacrifice. I will honor him with all that he requires of me. We must understand that. We have to embrace that. God will judge. Look at verse 5. He goes on to say these words. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. And for the sins of the house of Israel. Then he asks the question, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Again, he's addressing in these communities, in these nations, he's addressing the people's heart, 
They are idolatry. They're turning from the things of God. Therefore, I will make a Samaria. He's using, again, this voice of God that speaks out. I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of the prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail, Micah says. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation, grieving like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It starts in Samaria. Now it will come to Judah. It has reached to the gates of my people to Jerusalem. Whereas from verses 1 through 5, he says judgment is coming. In the preceding verses of verse 6 all the way through verse 9, here's what he's emphasizing. Not only will judgment come, but hear these words. When God judges, none of us should act surprised. No one should be shocked. God will always warn before he judges. God will always speak and say, listen, hear me, before the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our sin come. He always, and you know this to be the case. God, when God deals with you and corrects you, none of us, including myself, can act like I didn't, I just didn't see it coming. I didn't, I didn't see the consequences of me cussing that woman out on my job that it would bring me into the office before my boss and I'd have to get corrected on that. Really? You mean to tell me in between your words of cussing your co-worker out, the Holy Spirit that you say lives in you did not speak to you and tell you to shut your mouth. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will always give us correction, give us warning. Here's the issue. How many of us listen to the Holy Spirit? How many of us stop and when the Holy Spirit tells us you should not say that or you shouldn't have thought that or you shouldn't have gone there or you should have had that conversation or you should have done this or I wanted you to stand still and you kept going. I told you to go right and you went left. How many of you the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you listen to me. Hear me. Hear me. That's why he lives on the inside of you. That's why he's come to guide you. I can't tell you. I shouldn't tell you (laughs) how many times I've been on the freeway and somebody's cut me off and the thoughts that went through my mind were not godly thoughts. And the Holy Spirit says, you know that that is wrong. You know that thought is wrong. Or sometimes if someone does something and says something to me and I don't like what they said, I don't necessarily go off, but I just have a thought that's not a godly thought towards them. I, I don't wish them well. And the Holy Spirit will says, I don't want you to think like that. I think all of us ought to be glad. We ought to be glad that God in his grace and mercy would not capture all of our thoughts that we have had this week and we play them before the whole congregation and put it up on the screen. It would clear the house. (laughs) Folks would grab purses, wives, husbands. It'd be a mess in here if all of our thoughts, including the one who's speaking before you, 
were projected so that the whole world could see. See, when God judges, he judges right. He does not put us into the hands of unmerciful people. He doesn't put us into the hands of people who have no investment in us. They don't care. God, when he judges, he judges us right. When he corrects us, he corrects us right. None of us will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't see it coming. He will judge. And when he judges, none of us should be surprised. I need you for just a moment because I can just kind of fill in the room. Everybody take a deep breath. You need to breathe. I can tell this is... I didn't know this was going to be the Father's Day message today. I, I really thought it was going to be something else. Oh, no, children. We need to hear the whole word. I, I need the whole word. I need all of God's word. I, I need the whole word that causes me at times to go, Hallelujah! And sometimes when the word comes, Hallelujah. I need the whole truth. Come on. Again, he says, none of us will be surprised. Look down at verse 10. Watch what he says. Tell it to Gath, or rather, excuse me, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. Now, there's a reason he says this. He's going to actually demonstrate in these preceding verses the response of various cities and towns within the region, both in the northern and the southern kingdom. Their responses to God. And how the people will react to God's judgment. He says, tell it not to Gath, weep not at all. Why does he say tell it not to Gath? Because remember, Gath had been a conquered city. And there will come a point when God judges. He's saying when God judges his people, you that are God's people, don't go to the inhabitants of Gath as though you need something from them and you try to barter with them to protect you from God's judgment. He says, don't do that. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shephir, in nakedness and shame, in the inhabitants of Zanon. Do not come out. Do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For all the inhabitants of Moroth Wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was in the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. That's a reference to Jerusalem. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morshagath. The houses of exit shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will bring again a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Mersha. The, the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle as they shall go from you into exile." What he is talking about in the text that we have just read is how each of these cities, each of these communities will respond or in some instances react to the judgment of God. There are things that they will do that other communities will not do. He closes by saying, literally, the, the, the text says, the balding of the head. It means literally to be in such mourning and distress as to pull your hair out. 
That's what it means. To be in such distress under God's correction that literally it leaves you in a place of pulling your hair out. What is he talking about in this text beginning in verse 10? He's speaking of when God judges, none of us should act surprised. And thirdly, there should be an appropriate response to God's correction. There should be an appropriate response to God's correction or judgment. Every response is not necessarily appropriate. There are some of us that think when God corrects us that we just kind of go our merry way and act like he's not talking. That's not an appropriate response. There are some of us when God gives correction to us, judgment comes. We, we just think, well, maybe I just had some bad pizza last night. I thought that, you know, maybe I just was thinking some bad thoughts and I, I mistook that for the Lord speaking to me. No, that was him speaking to you. That was him correcting. There's an appropriate response. Let me give you maybe four real clear statements that will help you to know an appropriate response when God is correcting us, when God is judging. There is an appropriate response. Number one, prayer. Prayer. An appropriate response is talking to God, more so letting God talk to us. That's an appropriate response. When God is changing, when God is changing our hearts, when God is transforming our hearts, when God is dealing with us, an appropriate response is to pull yourself aside and say, I need to spend some time with the Lord because I need the Lord to speak to me. I need a word from God. I need to hear from the Lord. There, there's some people, and I don't, I don't knock this. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited about this. I'm just making a statement to you. But there are some people that think, well, you know, you know, the Lord just speaks to me through dreams. Through dreams. And that may be the case. But I tell people, don't get locked down thinking just God, that's the best that God can do in your life by speaking to you in dreams. It may be that he speaks to you through dreams because he can't talk to you while you're awake. Come on, look at somebody and say, he ain't talking about you. He's talking about the person next to you. Go ahead and tell him. He ain't talking about you. I'm not knocking dreams. He has spoken to me through dreams, but he had to correct me. He says, sometimes I talk to you through dreams because I can't, you don't listen to me when you're wide awake. You don't hear me when you're wide awake just walking through the day. Pray. Pray. Talk to me. Let me talk to you. Prayer is an appropriate response when judgment comes. Here's the second one. You don't hear about this one much in the evangelical church, but we'll go here. Confession. Confession. Confessing our sin. It's a forgotten art in the church. It's a forgotten forgotten ministry in the church. It is a forgotten discipline within our lives. Confessing to one another. Confessing. Pray for me, I pray for you. Lift me up in prayer as I lift you up in prayer. Call me out on some things that I need to be accountable to. It's called confession. I I know some of you come from traditions and backgrounds where you think it may be, as I saw the other day driving up the street, they had a big sign along the road that says, Confessional is open on Wednesdays at 530. 
Some of us came from that tradition. I, I don't even knock that. Anything that we can do can be better than what we're doing. But the fact is, I've told you all before, if I had to go into a booth with someone on the other side of the partition looking over to me and saying, Pastor, pray for me, forgive me, for I have sinned. I'd have to pull the window open and stick my head through and say, and I have to. I've missed it too. I've blown it to all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Confession is good for you. I'm going to say it one more time. Confession is good for us. It's good for us. Confession is healthy. Confession keeps you from being fake. Confession keeps us transparent. Confession keeps our sinless short. Confession doesn't give me room to hide behind my laurels or my good looks. <laughs> Confession. Prayer is appropriate response. Confession is appropriate response. Here's a third one. Repentance. Oh, we don't like that word now. Because we don't even like to talk about sin. Folks don't even use the word sin anymore in the church. They don't even say sin. We say, we say I have issues we have mistakes we don't say sin anymore can I be transparent with you folks I've got more than issues I've got more than mistakes I've got sin I've got to deal with don't look at me with that halo over your head you do too sin and repentance is not just feeling sorry Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is being able to acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, and watch this, and turn from your sin and turn to God. That's what repentance, it means a change of heart, a change of mind. I'm going to do something different. That's repentance. You can cry through a whole box of Kleenex and still not repent. People do it all the time. (laughs) And don't change. They don't turn. There's no repentance. There's just, I'm sorry. And a lot of us aren't even saying I'm sorry for the sin. I'm sorry I got caught in my sin. And still won't change. That's what Micah's going after. He's going after that. He says, listen, an appropriate response would be prayer. Or an appropriate response would be confession. An appropriate response to God's correction, his judgment, would be repentance. And fourth, an appropriate response would be, watch this, after you've done those things or as you do those things, experience the renewing power, the renewal of God. The renewal of God. God doesn't leave us just in a state of pity and mauler and wallowing in our in our state of sadness and depression and fear. No, he says, I want you to be free. I want you to be transformed. So because of that, I want you to experience the renewal that comes through my Holy Spirit. He comes to restore us. He's come to restore you. He's come to renew you. He's come to bring refreshing back to you. He's come to bring wholeness back to you. Those are appropriate responses. Maybe that's why in these last 
days that we're living in. Because I really believe we are living in the last days. I believe that the coming of the Lord is imminent. I believe that. I, I know that that's not the popular message. Folks don't want to hear that. I, I almost believe we're back in the days of Noah. That we're saying it's going to rain. And folks are like, I don't see any clouds. I believe we're closer now to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. I believe that with all of my heart. I will preach on this Thursday two funerals. So I'll preach one at 10 o'clock at East Lawn Cemetery. After I preach that at 10 o'clock at 11 o'clock, I will get in my car and drive down to Center of Praise Cathedral to preach another funeral at 11 o'clock. It will start at 11. I'll get there at 11.30 just in time to preach. Then I will leave there at 12.30 to go to a cemetery in Dixon to bury a man at the, at the Veterans Cemetery all in one day. And the message that I will declare to the people is that in the midst of all of our pain, our grief, and our hurt, Jesus is coming. The hope that we have for the church of Jesus Christ is that he will keep his promise. He will keep his promise. But beloved, I'm going to tell you, it's not an easy road for standing what is right. Micah preached this message and it was not received among the people because it did not please their ears. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved. One translation says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who must not or need not be ashamed, watch these words, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling the word of truth. Study God's word. Study what his Bible says. Study what the sacred text says. Study God's word. So that when you and I speak, watch me, we are men and women of distinction. We don't look like the world. Because we've allowed God's correction to even come to us. But I caution you, and I say this with all boldness, and I don't take it back. I say it with all boldness within me. We, beloved, must never allow others, including politicians, to give poor exegetical commentary to this sacred text. And I'll say that again. We must never allow, I don't care who they are, in all due respect, anyone to give poor exegetical commentary to the sacred text. We must be people who are led by the Holy Spirit. And I know that's not popular. Don't need it to be popular. Don't email me on it. <laughs> we can choose to disagree there, but I believe with all this in me that if our nation is to be judged, just as in the days of Micah, it will be due to the church's shout of silence. I'm going to say that again. If our nation is to be judged, it will be to our, to the, due to the church's shout of silence that is conspicuous in addressing the matters of poverty, justice, and the care of the defenseless. Amen. God's judgment, contrary to popular belief, will not be because God is judging those who smoke and chew, drink and chew, smoke, drink and chew, or chase women who do. Contrary to popular opinion, that's not what God is going to judge. He's going to judge us based on how we treat one another. 
Oh, I'm going to say it again, just as bold as I can. God will judge us based upon how we treat others. That's it. That's how he will deal with us. It's very important, beloved. Maybe let's close with this because you all look like, ooh, I can't wait to get up out of here. You, 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 I'm going to let you go. Don't worry. First Thessalonians 5. Let me close with this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. This is what Paul says. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and there's security. Things are getting better. Then God said, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains came upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. Here's God's hope and word to us. Verse 4. You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you all are children of light. Children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. And so then, let us not sleep. Come on, smile at somebody and say, wake up this morning. Come on, tell them, wake up. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we do not, or rather since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Watch these words. For God has not destined us for wrath. Stop right there. God has not destined us for wrath. Your destiny is not God's wrath. Your destiny as children of the light is the hope and the freedom we have in God. That's our hope. That's where we're headed. Your destiny is not the wrath of God. It's coming, but it's not for you. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that's for anybody who will hear this, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. And I like this. I told you to underline earlier the word build. He says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Even more as we see the approaching of the Lord. Encourage one another. Build one another up. When we leave these four walls, don't just go back to your comfortable living. Or what we may perceive to be comfortable living. Have a heart and a passion to help somebody who cannot help themselves. Care for the widow. Care for the broken. Ask God to show you. How to lift others. How to help others. So that the Lord Jesus would be glorified and be lifted up at all times. Thus, we begin the seven-part series of the book of Micah. Stand to your feet. Lift those hands. The king is coming. The king is coming. I've heard the trumpet sound. And now his face I see. The king is coming. Yes, the king is coming. Praise God. 
He's coming for me once again. The King is coming. The King is coming. I've heard the trumpet sound. And now his face I see. The king is coming. Yes, the king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Father, thank you. Thank you. Jesus is coming again. There will be an ultimate judgment that will take place. But even now, God, we see the signs of the times. We see, God, you calling to your people and correcting the house. Oh, God, search me, Lord. Search me, Lord. Shine a light from heaven on my soul. If you find anything that shouldn't be, God, take it out and strengthen me. I want to be right. I want to be whole. I want to be free. Forgive us. Help us not to hide behind religion. But help us be people that go passionately after you. That we will be people of wisdom. Help me, God, to love my neighbor. Help me, God, to glorify your name. And we give you praise in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Hold your applause for just a moment. I'm going to ask the prayer team if they'll come. And they're going to be here in the front. And if there's anything we can agree with you about or pray with you about, we want to do so. I've done the best I can to share with you what I believe God's heart is for us, not only as a church, but as a region, as a city, as a nation. I believe with all that's in me that we have the boldness and the courage to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do, God, let it begin in me. As we leave, I ask you to hold your conversation to a minimum until you've gone outside and think on these things. The peace of God be with you.